Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing, my dear family? It's good to be with you always. Um, I pray that you had a, a good weekend, and I know that in many dioceses, as in ours here in Tulsa, the churches are beginning to open. Um, I think uh, normally they allow 10 people at a time. Um, it's a it's it's a good thing, but it's uh, still pretty awful. The supermarkets... Um, are open, as I say, the abortion mills are open, uh, liquor stores are open, and um, uh, and we cannot be, a church, if it's a small church, 10 people is one thing, but if the church would normally hold a couple of thousand people and to only have 10, it, it's really um, very distressing. So, And then, again, in most dioceses, or many, I should say, um, communion on the tongue is not allowed. I read an article yesterday that in one diocese, communion on the tongue is not allowed, not even at the Latin Mass. Can you imagine that one? A priest has never, ever given communion in the hand, and at the Latin Mass, people have never received communion in the hand. Do you imagine they're engaging in such a debauchery? I cannot. I cannot. And, you know, for us, we will not receive communion if we are forced to receive our Lord in our hand, we will not. So um, it's still not a good situation, but it is good that the churches are beginning to open. Um, uh, And so we'll see. We'll see. We just go on and we'll see what God has. And I think all of us uh, just need to grow uh, very much in holiness and be ready for whatever is ahead whenever whatever is God's timetable. I think we very much need to do that. And so in the interim, I would begin to make our lives more simple and to spend time in prayer and to uh, go to confession, to go to confession. That's very, very important. Um, And to know our faith. Because we say, well, there's three generations lost to the faith because the shepherds haven't been teaching the faith for the most part. Um, But... Uh, we may soon have no one to teach us and uh, we need to know our faith. So we here um, have been going through the Roman Catholic drill book uh, on our faith. And um, we had first, we're in the third uh, section now. The first was the Ten Commandments. um, And the second was the precepts of the church. So, all right, I don't know that you've got this down pat uh, I don't have everything down pat. I'll let you know that. Um, but what's the first commandment? What is it? I am the Lord thy God. And in in the Jewish uh, rendition, I told you that's it. There's nothing that comes after that. It's not a commandment. It's a statement. I am the Lord thy God. Um, thou shalt not have strange gods before me is the second commandment. But here in our rendition, the Catholic rendition, um, and and uh, the the thing is that Exodus chapter twenty from where from whence these come has more than 
Ten Commandments, at least 14, and so it's a matter of how they're grouped. So the first commandment is, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not have strange gods before me. What's the second? Has to do with God's name. Come on, come on. Thou shalt not take the name of thy God, the Lord thy God in vain. Third one has to do with our worship day, our day of worship. Uh, Remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath day. Fourth, and we talked about that, that the Sabbath was not moved to Sunday. The day of worship was changed from the Sabbath to Sunday, the eighth day, the new creation, because the Lord of the Sabbath rose on Sunday. And then number four has to do with thy parents, honor thy father and mother. Number five, what is that? Has to do with murder. Thou shalt not kill. Number six has to do with not being faithful to your spouse. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Number seven has to do with not taking what's not yours. (laughs) Thou shalt not steal. Number eight, um, thou shalt not lie. What's that one? Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And number nine, uh, what's that one? Leave your neighbor's wife alone. (laughs) It's not quite the way it's worded. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And finally, um, what about your neighbor's things that belong to your neighbor? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. So those are the Ten Commandments. And then we had, secondly, the precepts of the church. These are musts. Um, One, to hear Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation. And uh, unless we can attend Mass in person in this coronavirus, we're not obligated to uh, to hear Mass online, streamed, on the TV or computer. That's not the obligation. It's to go to Mass, to attend Mass, to partake, to assist. And apart from being there in person, you cannot. But again, the that obligation on Sunday has been lifted. And even if your church is open now on Sunday, um, you are not obligated to go. Maybe they're serving communion in the hand and you don't want that or you don't want to go and just refuse communion or you're older and you don't feel safe or you have an illness or for whatever reason, you're not obligated to go uh, during this epidemic here, pandemic. So number one, hear mass on Sundays and holy days of obligation. Number two, to fast and abstain on the days appointed to fast and abstain on the day's appointment. Number three, to confess our sins at least once a year. And my friend Kristen called in on Friday to say, even though this book I'm reading from was written, I think, in 1925 and revised in 2018, they didn't revise this third precept to confess our sins at least once a year. Kristen called in and said, um... The only way we need to confess them even once a year is if they are mortal, because venial sins, uh, we do not need a um, intermediary before God, and they're, con- they're forgiven at Mass and, and in other ways. But, um, but mortal sins, uh, we, must, we must go to confession. So, um, but again, it's for mortal sins once a year. Kristen, you were right. I've always said that, and then I was corrected. But it's uh, confession once a year, uh, only for mortal sins. And then the fourth one, to receive the Holy Eucharist during Easter time, or you could say Paschal time, the whole of Easter time. 
um, let me just see that, um, to receive the Holy Eucharist during the Easter time, to contribute, number five, the six precepts to the support of our pastors. We must do that. We can give to a number of of uh, outreaches and um, ministries in the church, but, but our parish should be number one, uh, first obligation that we support our pastors. And finally, to observe the laws of the church concerning marriage, that is, not to marry persons who are not Catholics, or who are related to us within the third degree of kindred. They used to have marriage between siblings and such, nor privately without a witness, nor to solemnize marriage at forbidden times. Um, And so um, we're going to go today to the uh, third drill, which is fast days and holy days. Now, uh, Kristen has me thinking how up to date these are, and the book is is uh, quite it, it's quite a lot. It's quite thin. See that it's very thin, but they're just little drills, uh, so it contains a lot. And um, I would need to look them all up to see if any of them have changed. I pray not, but um, Kristen, I'll I'll count on you when you know if something's wrong to let me know. Um, so the drill. Th- three is fast days and on fast days there's a note and it says per the apostolic constitution uh written in february 1966 the rules listed here for fasting and abstaining are no longer of strict strict obligation though they may continue to be observed out of custom in the united states of america the strict obligation is to fast and abstain um, that strict obligation applies only to Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, while the Fridays of Lent are obligatory days of abstinence. And that's all of that is still very true. Nothing's changed there. For more details, um, you can see the pastoral statement of penance and abstinence uh, written in 1966, uh, published by the National C- Conference of Catholic Bishops. Okay. A um, couple of other notes here, but let me just read them. Um, and it says, fast days are two small meals, not equal to the main meal. And um, uh, I've even heard that corrected, uh, to say one main meal and and two little snacks not even equal to a small meal. I don't know, excuse me.
We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture, or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day, and we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a Sustain Life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustain life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations, thank you for helping to save the culture. Are you ready for full contact Catholicism? This is Jesse Romero from the Terry and Jesse Show. Each weekday, we're talking about the things that matter to Catholics, spiritual warfare, Marian devotion, tradition, and staying strong in your faith in this culture of death. I hope you'll join us. Give us a call during the show at 888-526-2151. It's the Terry and Jesse Show, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, heard around the world on the iCatholic Radio app. The Catholic Current on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. Now, recently, your organization, the Ruth Institute, caused a bit of a stir. Can you tell us what happened there, please? What? I caused a stir? Father. I know. It's so unlike you. (laughs) You think you know someone. (laughs) Tune in weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross and iCatholic Radio for The Catholic Current, bringing Christ to the world and the world to Christ. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Hello, beloved. Um, good to be back with you. And um, we, this is Mother Miriam Live, and I just lost my place, and I didn't even know when we went to break. Uh, somehow there was a breaking communication here. So um, we are now back. Okay. Um, and I am with you, and we're looking at in the uh, Roman Catholic drill book at fast days and holy days. And Right after our next break, we'll begin to take your calls, your texts, your emails, beloved, and the, the toll-free number to call in is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. You can call in any day, any time, um, with anything that's on your heart. So we're looking at fast days and holy days, and again, uh, a fast equals two small meals. Um, not equal to the main meal. So, uh, and it doesn't say a main meal plus two small meals not equal to the main meal. It just says two small meals not equal to main meal. That's the fasting. So, you know what? I am, I am going to, I, I didn't, because this was published, um, some time ago, even though it was republished in 2018. Uh, 
I think I might be. I love to just read it as it is. Uh, I haven't gone through it in advance. I'd love to read it as it is. But um, I'm going to give Christine a job of calling in every day. So um, I think uh, I'm going to take a look at these in advance myself. So I think for the rest of our a few minutes before the next break, I'm going to continue with my favorite saint, St. Francis de Sales. I say that even though we're Benedictine, because I love St. Francis de Sales, and he became my spiritual director from heaven um, before uh, I even became a Benedictine. So he's one of our four saints. And um, this is a book on spiritual maxims of St. Francis de Sales. And he says this, and the first one is to love or die. To love or die. Hold on now. Okay. Uh, these are just little quotes, little maxims, maxims of his, and they are they're love bullets. They're so wonderful. Between death and love, there is no alternative. I love that. And he gives scripture references and uh, other references. But um, someone was asked me years ago. I, I just love this now that I read it because someone asked me what was the opposite of love and I said uh, I, I'm I don't think I said hate no I didn't say hate uh, I said death I think I did because um, there's no alternative to love uh, the reason I didn't say hate is because love is a very deep if love is a verb uh, God so loved the world that he gave, not that he felt good about it that he gave, but he so loved the world that he gave. Love has the other, the beloved in mind, not itself. Love is a verb in scripture. Uh, very, very few times is it spoken of as a, an emotion. It, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, it's what love does. Love um, is patient. Love is kind. Love does not consider a wrong. Uh, all of that, what love does, it's a verb. And so, um, if you hate, um, hate is a, um, is a pretty strong emotion. And one might say you need to care very deeply in order to love, you need to care deeply in order to hate. And so it's really not the opposite, I think. But between love and death, there is no alternative. And then, love and death are so mingled in the passion of our Lord, that we cannot have the one in our heart without the other. And then a little section subtitled, Love Alone. Listen to this. All is love's, that all belongs to love, that is. All is love's, L-O-V-E apostrophe S. And in love, for love, in holy church. That's it. All is love's, and in love, for love, in holy church. God is love. All is love's. And in love, for love, in holy church. Hatred separates us, and love brings us into one. To live accord... Now, these are just different maxims, different sayings. They're not necessarily connected, except the theme is love. To live according to the Spirit is to love according to the Spirit. To live according to the flesh is to love according to the flesh. For love is the life of the soul, as the soul is the life 
of the body. Love is the life of the soul, as the soul is the life of the body. Love is the movement, effusion, and advancement of the heart toward the good. Love is the movement, the effusion, and advancement of the heart toward the good. And you know, uh, one once I, I may have told you or some of you this in the past that when I came into the church, um, any sign of God was disappeared for three years. I didn't know about the dark night then. Apparently, uh, priests have told me that I that's just what I went through. Uh, one told me it while I was going through it, but um, I didn't believe any of them. Uh, because when you, when you're, if you're truly in the dark night, um, you don't know it. And all I knew is that I did not love God. I was sure of that. I wasn't sure that I was a Christian anymore. Um, and there was nothing. There was no hope. There was nothing. I couldn't quite intellectually give up, uh, a belief in Jesus Christ, but there was, there was no God. There was no sense. I went to Mass every morning and received the Eucharist. And there was no sense of God. It was torture. And halfway through that three and a half years, from the day after I entered the church for three solid years, and prior to that, I was a fervent evangelical, <clears throat> so in love with God that I, my body couldn't hold it sometimes. And then I came into the fullness of Christianity, the fulfillment of Judaism, the Catholic Church, and the fullness of Christianity. And... The next day, God disappeared. The night before when I was received into the church, I could hardly believe that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the Holy Eucharist was being placed on my tongue and that I didn't perish. It was, it was just, I don't even know what happened the rest of that Mass. I don't even know what happened. But the next day, there was no sign of God for three years. And a year and a half into that three years, I read a book called The Sacrament of the Present Moment, which I suspect is a chapter from um, Father John uh, uh, de Croissade's uh, Divine Providence, surrendered to, or I think it's just Divine Providence at that point. It was uh, republished as Surrender to Divine Providence. But in any case, um, I read one line in that little book, The Sacrament of the Present Moment, I longed to love God, but I didn't. I went to three different priests, holy priests, with my problem. And they said, oh, on the contrary, you love God very much. And I said, I, you don't understand. You, I need someone to understand. You have to believe me. I don't love God. I want to love him. I long to, but I don't. And they didn't believe me. And then I read this in the book, that the desire to love is love itself. I have never read a greater statement. It was life-saving for me. The desire to love is love itself because I lived with a longing to love God, but I didn't. I knew I didn't. And the desire itself is love. And I thought, if the desire itself is love, that desire I have, which means I do love God. It was maybe not the happiest moment in my life, but I can't think of a happier moment. I can't think of another one. I, I said, this is incredible. The, 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 uh, the, abs- the sense of the absence of God went on for another year and a half. It didn't return to me. But I trusted that statement. 
that the desire itself is love. And I thought to myself, well, that does make sense because Satan is not going to give you a desire to love God. If God has given me that desire, then then he accepts it. Uh, I just, it, it was, it, it saved my life. So, beloved, if you're afraid you don't love God, you sit before the Blessed Sacrament to adore him, if you can, in these days. <clears throat> And you feel cold and dry and you fall asleep and and you're upset with yourself and all of that. I Believe me, I understand. But you're there. And to love God and adore him and be there to keep him company when you don't feel like it, when you're bored, when you're afraid you're offending him because you don't have feelings of love, that's the time you love him more. That's what God said to us. Because it's a sacrifice to be with him when you don't feel like it. When you feel like it, there's no sacrifice. But when we don't feel up to it, or we don't feel like it, that's the sacrifice of love. And then this goes on to say, love is the movement, the effusion and advancement of the heart toward the good. I already read that one. On to the next one. The affinity which causes love does not always consist in resemblance, but in the mutual relation between the lover and the thing loved. I'll read this. I'll read them twice because they're so compact and deep. The affinity which causes love does not always consist in resemblance, but in the mutual relation between the lover and the thing loved. Next. Union in distinction makes order. You, this is these are uh, this is philosophy. This is a thinking man's. Uh, these are thinking men's maxims, but they're Saint Francis de Sales, and they're perfect. Union in distinction makes order. Order produces agreement, and proportion and agreement in complete and finished things make beauty. You know, I. I'm reading this slowly to try to absorb it and understand it myself, and the pieces come together, and it's magnificent. It's just magnificent. Union in distinction makes order, and order produces in agreement. You and your husband could be in union, but you are distinct, and you you come together in union because you are two different beings with two different uh, emotions, set of emotions and thought processes, but you're in union, and that makes order. And order produces agreement. Even if you express it differently, if you know, understand it differently, order produces agreement. And proportion and agreement in complete, finished things make beauty. I tell you what, um, these are, are truly beautiful. Truly, truly beautiful. And let me know if it's not helping you because they're too quick and too deep and we're not going into each one. So let me know that and I'll, I'll do something else for us. God bless you, beloved. There's the music for our second break. We'll be back and have a whole half hour to ourselves for um, conversation questions and, and to take your email. So don't go away. We'll be right back.
The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. Do you have questions about your faith life and the life of your family? Ask Mother Miriam each weekday from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern when the Station of the Cross brings you Mother Miriam Live, a program to inspire you and offer solutions to many of life's challenges. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam with some very exciting news. Through a partnership between the Station of the Cross and LifeSite News, you will be able to listen and watch Mother Miriam live on YouTube and Facebook at the Station of the Cross, including past episodes on podcast. As always, you're going to be able to call, text, or email whatever your questions are. If you are not able to watch the live stream, you'll still be able to listen on your local Station of the Cross affiliate on the iCast. Catholic Radio mobile app or at the station of the cross.com. God bless you. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm Mother Miriam, and I'm thrilled to be with you. And we have a whole half hour to ourselves, and you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. Again, it does not need to be our subject. It's the heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. So toll free to call or text one eight seven seven five one one. 5483 or email at mother at We have Bernadette from Knox, Indiana on the line. Hi, Bernadette. Good morning, Mother. It is such a privilege to speak with you. Thank you, dear. I, uh, I guess I heard of you a couple of years ago, and now just the past couple of days I'm able to tune in. And I don't know if this is a prayer request, a gripe of request, <laughs> how to solve this. I'm a church musician, and I'm retired, and uh, I, I was in college when we switched to Vatican II. And um, so the Hootenanny Masses were so much fun for a while, and then they got old so fast, and we missed the beauty of the Latin and the chants. So I'm in a parish where Father uh, likes the Latin, but everybody in the parish says, we're not coming to church anymore if she does any more Latin. I mean, this is the majority of the feeling, and, I, and my feeling is, Father, just tell them the truth. You know, That's Vatican II right. said 
pride of place, every Catholic should be able to sing and to say those parts of the Mass that pertain to them. But he won't, he won't do that. All, you know, and I guess the centers, why do priests have so much fear? Is it that if they told them the truth that they think everybody would reject it? I think people basically want to follow the truth and there would not be so much animosity. So maybe I'm just, you know, beating a dead horse and it's not even worth it. But the devil hates Latin. There's so much beauty in the You're right, Bernadette. And the fact is you are beating a dead horse. I'll tell you why. It's kind of an irony here, little pun. Because the reason Latin is used in the church is because it's a dead language. (laughs) Yeah, right. Isn't that funny? It's a dead horse. And And people don't understand this because when we use Latin, not only is it beautiful and Gregorian chant only works with Latin and the devil hates Latin and all of that. But the reason that uh, it was is Latin is because it's a dead language and that it doesn't change. You don't have all these colloquialisms and all, all the isms. And so you could be anywhere in the world if you know your Mass. And yep. you, could, you could be, you don't have to speak the local language, but you can go to Mass and you know just what's happening. So it's, it's just tremendous. Um, I went to a parish, Novus Ordo, and the priest, blessed be God for him, he learned the Latin Mass and actually began a Latin Mass at 7 in the morning for us, um, even though he also had Novus Ordo. So uh, it was a great, great act of love on his part. And the fact is his life was changed by it, and he loved it. He absolutely loved it. And then once the Latin Mass got going, he began to um, reform it's actually not reforming the Novus Ordo, it's putting it back to where it was uh, after yeah. Vatican II because the Latin was not taken out. And right. so the uh, Sanctus, the Agnus Dei, uh, other parts of the Mass kept the Latin. And the the Church never informed anybody to turn around and instead of the priest bringing the shepherds to God, to turn around and face the people with his back to God. None of that was ever instructed, but it became that. And so what our priest did was begin to teach the parishioners. He knew he'd lose some, but he began to teach them why the Latin, and that it's what the church asked for, even with Vatican II, and that we're going to go back to some of the the Latin antiphons and, and, and such. And so little by little, he brought in a little scola, and they led. And um, and I would say at least a third of the people left. But it's it continues to this day, and it's built up, and um, it is very, very beautiful. So I, I wish that other priests could follow that, indeed. Why they're afraid, why they're afraid to lose people. Um, is is why the church is in such awful shape today, and so few know their faith. Thank you, Mother. Pray for us at St. Thomas Aquinas. Yes. All right. All right, dearest. Don't give up. Don't give up. Maybe you could Thank ask, you. Father, if you could just, just start with the Sanctus. That's the most... Um, maybe well-known, I don't know, but uh, get, uh, ask him if he could at least get the Adoramus hymnals for your church, because it's all in there. So, um, little little by little, step by step. Thank you, Mother. 
Okay, God bless, God bless you, Bernadette. We have an email from Paul who writes, Good morning, Mother Miriam. Most of us Catholics are aware of the baptisms of desire and fire. However, with regards to the millions of abortions that are committed annually throughout the world, do you think our good Lord has also made provision for these poor, innocent souls to attain baptism by perhaps a baptism of prayer? (laughs) He says, thank you for your thoughts on this matter. God bless you in your ministry, Paul. No, dearest dearest one, there's no baptism of prayer. Um, uh, You know, and and St. Augustine made a good statement. We are bound by the sacraments. You must be baptized to be saved. Must, M-U-S-T. That's how God saves us. That's how he eliminates uh, the stain of original sin and pours his life into us. Uh, there's no salvation apart from that. Baptized people can turn from God and not live the faith and not be in heaven. But to be a child of God, you must be baptized, a child of God spiritually. Um, and um, which is why I say that I, I wish that there'd be a priest on hand the moment a child is born. The moment a child comes out of the mother's womb, wrap that little baby in a blanket and baptize him or her right then. Uh, People wait so long and you have no idea that your child won't die from um, something, a disease, a crib death, an unexpected accident, and you haven't baptized them. But St. Augustine made a wonderful statement. He said, we are bound by the sacraments. God is not you see, and so that does not allow us to assume what God will do apart from baptism at all. And um, the church does not assume that unbaptized babies are uh, going to see God. Um, and again, they've, they've done away with the uh, thought of limbo. Uh, there's really no such state as limbo. And so um, uh, that's the best I can do. Dear Paul, so um, again, um, people that baptize, uh, that uh, have abortions, cause abortions, are simply performing murder. And um, if you murder an adult who hasn't been baptized, there's no baptism of prayer for him. Um, It's the same thing. You say, but an an adult at least has a choice. Well... Uh, that's true, and a baby doesn't, but you as his parents, as his mother, have that choice, you see. And uh, God doesn't see us so individually as we see ourselves. Um, we are we are responsible for our offspring and for what happens to them. Okay, we have... Um, uh, we have Laura from Rochester, New York, on the line. Hi, Laura. Hi, Mother. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Uh, My question is, um, how many saints can you name um, that went to confession, the sacrament of confession, once a year, maybe twice, and they figure they had it made? I I don't think that's the definition of a saint. Well, no. Nobody, even if they go to confession, nobody thinks they have it made. Well, that's, I know, but I think we have a problem. Um, I wanted to mention Second Chronicles uh, chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locust to devour the land, 
or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name humble Humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So Mm -hmm. that's a twofold Mm -hmm. thing when we talk about the environment and also our own environment of our souls. Um, I think we need to strive to go to confession and confess our sin. Are we even asking for forgiveness? This, this, this section here talks about, I will forgive you, but we need to ask for forgiveness, don't we? And if we're only seeking forgiveness and confession once or twice a year... Well, again, we're again, really we're talking about, we, 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 our sins are forgiven at, at the beginning of every Mass. And uh, we, again, confess our sins to God all the time. But the requ- we should go to confession at least every, once a month or every week. But, um, but for mortal sin, it's required. There's no salvation. If you have mortal sin, you have deliberately, one, a person has deliberately separated themselves from God in mortal sin. And there's no way to be forgiven apart from a priest giving you absolution and restoring you to the grace of God. Um, that that uh, verse, passage in Chronicles, was given to the nation Israel, um, surrounded by their enemies and living in sin. And God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear their prayer and heal their land. There's no way to... Uh, Humble yourself and turn from your wicked ways without begging God for for forgiveness and, and confessing your sins. That's all part of that. Yes, correct. It's all part of that. So it's no different for us. So I'm not quite getting your point. Nobody has it made. Nobody has it made. The thief on the cross had a contrite and humbled heart and uh, wouldn't have had time for any other baptism, but the baptism of desire. And uh, that's, Jesus said, you'll be with me today in paradise. But, um, so that would be uh, one, one, one who uh, went to confession once in his life, maybe. And, um, but he didn't have it made. Nobody would use that language who was humble before God. So I, I don't quite understand your point, Laura. He finished. Two percent of the statistics show that two percent of Catholics go to frequent confession. So, what are the other, the rest of them? That's my point. Yeah, but, I but think don't more of us d- need to. to, to you, no, 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 no. Someone rightly said to me, "Don't be holier than the church." If the church requires, if Catholics don't go to confession, they are losing out on a magnificent sacrifice. Because with that confession, with that absolution, the priest gives a penance, not so that they would be forgiven, but because they are forgiven, he gives them the opportunity to sacrifice and to make re- reparation, to repair the evil they've done uh, because they are forgiven, but they have temporal effects of their sin that must be um, uh, paid for. And so... Um, it's expiated um but be careful to say two percent of catholics go to confession i i i have no idea how they get those figures let's say they're true um 
again, you're only required to go to confession. You could you could make the point that people are losing out if they're not going to confession. But if someone does not commit a mortal sin, they don't have to go to confession even once a year. So it's not against them, Laura. That people are missing out on the graces. Okay, now that's a different point. But but you, be careful to not judge Catholics based on that and all of that because or put them down uh, because they don't understand. So it's one. It's 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 good to to mo- to bemoan uh, the the loss of graces that Catholics have uh, because they don't go to confession. But um, it's not a must unless you're in mortal sin. There's the music for our break, beloved. We'll be right back. And we'll have a good 10 minutes to ourselves. And you're welcome to call in at one 511 We'll be right back. Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails. And stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our Church is in a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. Join us here on the Station of the Cross for the Liturgy of the Hours at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern with the Office of Readings read at 3 o'clock. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus tells us, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Liturgy of the Hours is also known as the Divine Office and is the daily prayer of the Church. So you know you'll be uniting your prayer with priests, religious, and laity throughout the world. It's comprised of small reflections, readings from sacred scripture, and writings from saints and theologians. To learn more about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. That's thestationofthecross.com. Pray with us each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We have 10 minutes. Our lines, our phone lines are open. You're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. We're going to go to an email from Sheila, who writes, Hi, Mother. Are there any prayers that I can say against the virus? Of course there are. It seems to me the doctors, researchers, and politicians are completely helpless against the virus. Um, 
the virus is stalking the corridors of power in Washington. Excuse me, and Moscow, Sheila. Um, Sheila, dear one, um, you you have email, so I'm 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 going to assume you can go on the internet. I just did it. Looking at your question, just type in prayers for coronavirus. Uh, Crosswalk dot com. Uh, you'll find uh, several prayers and lots of other sites. Uh, prayers for the coronavirus. Um, and just the normal prayers that we we know, uh, the Our Father, Thy will be done, Thy kingdom come. It's it's always the best. And turn to Our Lady. Um, we have an email from Carol. Good morning, Mother. I plan to attend a funeral service at an Episcopal church for a dear friend who died. <clears throat> As a Catholic, is it proper for me to fully engage in this service, including receiving communion? Thank you, as always, Carol. The answer is an emphatic no, Carol. I would, I would almost, I would urge you to not go to the funeral service either, if you don't have to. For example, if there is a, um, uh, you can go. Well, let me let me not say if if you you're not committing sin if you go to the funeral service. Uh, but you will be if you receive communion, because it will not be communion, and you'll be receiving a lie. We receive communion. The word says we're in communion with that fellowship, and you're not. As a Catholic, you are not. And it's also not a host that has been consecrated to become our Lord. That's only in the Catholic Church, not in the Episcopal Church. So if you go, um, you... Uh, you should stay behind. Don't even go up with the line and cross your arms and all of that. That's really awful. Just stay in your seat. And you can explain to the friend, family and friends of this dear friend of yours um, that uh, you simply cannot do that being a Catholic. We have an email from someone who writes it anonymously and says, Dear Mother Miriam, my husband cheated on me during our five-year marriage. He divorced me and remarried the woman he had an affair with. I met a nice man where I was working at nine years later, and I got an annulment and we got married. My question is, since I got an annulment, is my husband forgiven of this sin? Um, I thought you have to confess your sin and do it no more. He is still married to this woman. Thank you, Anonymous. Um, annulment does not forgive sin. It's not the sacrament of reconciliation or forgiveness. No one is forgiven because they get an annulment. Uh, the annulment says that the it, the marriage was null and void from the beginning. There were impediments, and the marriage sacramentally never took place. But as far as sin goes, that has to be confessed individually. You're right. <clears throat> you need to confess the sin and have a a firm purpose of amendment to not do it anymore, although people fall, um, and he's still married to this woman. Well, he wasn't married to her to begin with. He, he was living in adultery, and he does need to go to confession. There's no question about that one in order to be forgiven. We have another email from somebody who writes in anonymously and says, Hello, Mother Miriam. I'm 18 years old. Being a lifelong Catholic, I always had a problem with the documents of the Second Vatican Council since I was a young boy. I'm starting to attend an FSSP 
excuse me, that's the fraternity of the Society of St. Peter Parish. That's very, very good. That's where we go. Uh, my question is, is it sinful to reject the decrees of the council? I have been very confused about this. All I want is to be faithful. I want to be a faithful Catholic and help my family. I love your show, and I pray that your religious community will grow. God bless. Oh, God bless you, dear one. Um, I Is it sinful to reject the decrees of the council? Um uh i would say if we reject a decree of the church that is correct uh that's going against the faith and is sinful um to reject the council outright which people have uh anyone has a right to do that because so many so much destruction has uh followed that council so one can reject the council but um, the, to, to reject the decrees of the council, I would just, you know, offhand, wholesale, you could reject the council. But, um, uh, but it did take place, and, um, and there, the decrees are, uh, I, I, I don't know what percentage are valid, but I think if you read through the decrees of the Second Vatican Council, you would see that many of them are valid and believed today, um, even in the FSSP parish. So I would be careful to reject things wholesale and say, um, I'm going to read through the documents, and there, if there are some that I do not believe are faithful to the Church through the ages, then I'm not going to be able to accept them. I think that's fine, because it was not... Um, it was not infallible. Um, it was a pastoral council. It did not come together f- to pronounce doctrine. So I think you'd be safe there. But I, I would be careful to not reject things wholesale without having personally read them yourself. Uh, I'm going to see. We have less than two minutes left. Let me see if I could take one more email. It's from someone who writes in anonymously and writes, Hello, Mother, and thank you for taking my question. You're welcome, dear. In our diocese, many others, uh, and many others, guidelines are being posted and provided indicating procedures for when churches open. In one diocese, it is being left up to the pastor to decide how to do good. That's the way it should be. My concern is this. Parishioners were notified recently by our local parish the rules and regulations, including mass time, how many could attend, and age restrictions. That's too bad rather than suggestions. Um, My biggest concern is about the mandate that was sent. Quote, communion can be received only in capital letters underlined in the hand, end quote. While as I understand forcing communion in the hand is not allowed, we know that priests and bishops do. What are our recourses, if any? If the priest refuses to provide communion on the tongue, should I not attend Mass with my children? Oh, the obligation is still being dispensed. While I know receiving communion is not obligatory at Mass, my concern is if attending but not receiving might send the wrong message to others that I am not receiving out of fear or health concerns, this is not true. Um, you know, um, <clears throat> It's a hard decision to make for your children whether you take them and simply don't go up to receive communion. 
um, I would not, if you were not receiving communion, I would not take them to church. That's an awful thing. But you have church in your home. Just as, again, I urge people, read the book Christus Vincit uh, by um, Christ Victor by Athanasius Bishop Athanasius Snyder, and he gives us his whole testimony of growing up under communism. They could not go to a church. They could not receive communion. And they had a beautiful, beautiful Catholic family life at home and grew up to be heroic Catholics. So um, um, I think um, we better pick this one up tomorrow because there's the closing music and we're going to need to go, beloved. So God bless you. And I will finish this tomorrow. And have a blessed night. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. See you tomorrow.